going to get your Bibles out and turn to Isaiah chapter 10. Isaiah chapter 10 is where we're going to be studying from. It's been fun to work our way through this section of Isaiah. There's been a number of messianic promises as we've gone through uh, the book of Isaiah so far. So it just started off with a mixture of judgments and Messiah texts. Uh, last time wasn't so hope-filled as we saw uh, God's anger does not turn, turn away. Uh, the people kept rebelling. The people kept being stubborn and refusing to change and doing all kinds of wickedness and evil. And so God promised uh, to continue to bring his anger. And that's exactly what he did as we look at history. Uh, his, his major weapon against the Israelites was the Assyrians. Uh, and even against the Judeans, the Assyrians came in and they caused massive damage against them. And so today we're going to be learning a little bit about this Assyrian nation as we study Isaiah 10. Before we do that, uh, just think about for a moment a time whenever you've been at your peak, a time whenever you've, you've been on top of your game. You know, you were uh, winning awards, you were nailing those projects at work, you were uh, standing out, or you were accomplishing things that really just made you feel good about yourself. Maybe it's something small, like you just organized you know, your sock drawer or something like that, and you're just feeling really good about yourself, like, I can do this, I'm, I'm, I'm awesome, you know. Um, and then after you feel that feeling, uh, that rush of accomplishment, of pride, what do you do with that, you know? You hoard it up for yourself and think about how great you are and, and beam, uh, maybe tell other people about all these wonderful things you've done and say, hey, look at me, look at what I've done and how much I've accomplished. If you do that, then this passage is for you. Uh, I think we all tend to uh, reveal our accomplishments to other people, and we feel pretty proud of the things that we've done because we've done them. Uh, but as we study this text, we're going to see that um, really we don't have anything to be boasting about. Unfortunately, uh, in life, whenever we go through hard times, you know, we, we go to the book and we find all kinds of encouragement, all kinds of, you know, instruction about how to deal with life during the hard times. And this text even has a, a hint of that. But whenever we're at our peak, whenever we're most successful, sometimes we struggle to find guidance or struggle to pay attention to the guidance. So uh, as we study together this section of uh, Isaiah, we're going to receive some instruction about how to handle the peaks and how not to handle the peaks and the great times. Uh, as, as we think about Assyria, you notice this first verse in verse 5, uh, Isaiah 10 verse 5. He says this, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, the staff in their hands is my fury. He starts out with woe to Assyria. But we know Assyria. Assyria is this superpower of its time. Uh, Assyria is the greatest nation to, that, that, exist, that had ever existed at that time. And it, it was a military beast. Everybody was terrified of the Assyrians because they instilled fear. Not just physically, but mentally overcoming all of their opponents, making everyone terrified to ever rebel against the Assyrian nation. 
And they had ways of killing people that made everyone, you know, just shaking. You remember earlier we read about Ahaz and all of Israel shaking? Well, that's because the Assyrians are not people you want to be your enemies. Uh, and, and, and at that point, they were scared of the Syrians and they were scared of uh, Israel, but they're shaken again as, as Assyria comes. And they're going to be shaken because Assyria is a great and strong and powerful nation. Notice God says they are the rod of his anger. Uh, they are the staff that is in God's hand and, and that it, they represent God's fury. He says, verse 6, against a godless nation I send them. Against the people of my wrath, I command him to take spoil and seize plunder and to tread them down like mire of the streets. So, so God is behind the Assyrians. He's using them to accomplish the things that he desires to accomplish. He's using them to destroy all of his enemies. Verse 7 says, but he does not so intend and his heart does not so think, but it is in his heart to destroy and to cut off nations not a few for he says are not my commanders all all kings is not Kano like Carchemish and Hamath like Arpad and Samaria like Damascus he's just kind of going through and saying are we not the greatest of all the nations I can destroy whoever I want to destroy my commanders are like kings you know they're they're greater than the kings of of nations and he's just he's boasting and prideful it says in verse 10, As my hand has reached to the kingdoms of the idols whose carved images were greater than those of Jerusalem and Samaria, shall I not do to Jerusalem and her idols as I have done to Samaria and her images? So he just, he's, he's got his eyes set on Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 12, When the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the boastful look in his eyes. For he says, the king of Assyria says, By the strength of my hand, I have done it, and by my wisdom, for I have understanding. I remove boundaries of peoples and plunder their treasures. Like a bull, I bring down those who sit on thrones. My hand has found like a nest the wealth of all the peoples. And as one gathers eggs that have been forsaken, so I have gathered all the earth. And there was none that moved a wing or opened the mouth or chirped. Shall the axe boast over him who hews with it? Or the saw magnify itself against him who wields it? As if a rod should wield him who lifts it. Or as if a staff should lift him who is not wood. So God says in this text that Assyria is guilty of, of extreme boasting. Of saying, by the strength of my hand, I have done it. I have defeated all of my enemies. I have defeated all these nations. And they're like a nest that I just go up and I just gather all the wealth out of. I just The eggs are right there waiting for me. And I can just go up and take whatever I want. Because I've got that strength. I've got that power. I can dominate every nation and every king. And in all of that, God says, you're a boasting act. Isn't that an interesting picture, an axe boasting? Nobody would ever think of an axe boasting, right? An axe can do nothing in itself. An axe just sits there or leans against the wall or hangs up. you hang it up. It doesn't do anything by itself. The axe can be sharp or not sharp, but only if someone sharpens it. 
The axe can't cut down a single tree without someone grabbing that axe and throwing it. And so how can an axe boast? Well, it can't. You see, all of this is intended to seem ridiculous. The Assyrians saying, I have accomplished all these things, is supposed to be ridiculous. Now, as we look at a nation that has accomplished great things, that has gone through the land and just destroyed enemy after enemy, nation after nation, if we were living in that time, we would say, wow, look at, all, look at what all they've been able to accomplish. Their gods are really with them, and, and, and in their minds, they are using gods to defeat their enemies. But in God's mind, he says, I'm using them. They are my weapon. They are my tool that I have used to accomplish my purpose. And they have no reason to boast. It's interesting as you read this that you learn Assyria thought their success was all about them. They thought it was about them. They accomplished all these things. Everybody should praise them. Everybody should exalt them, and everybody should pay tribute to them and give them uh, all their earnings because they are so wonderful and so great and so strong and so mighty. And God says, that wasn't you. This whole time, they thought it was them, but it wasn't. How easy is it for us to believe the same thing? Whatever you've accomplished in your life, how easy is it for you to look at this mountain of accomplishment, especially as you get older, you accumulate more, uh, you build up wealth, you build up credibility and rapport, you build up uh, reputation, and, and you build up status, right? And how easy is it for you to look at all that you've accomplished and think, look at what all I've done. And, and whenever you look at someone else who's not up to your standard, how easy is it for you to look down on them and say, well, you haven't accomplished what I've accomplished, and I'm, I have done this by my own hands, by my own wisdom, in my own understanding. I have been able to build up all of these things that I now enjoy. Don't you wish you were me? That's easy. That's easy. That's easy for us to say. That's easy for us to think. Uh, that's easy for us to do as we consider and compare ourselves to other people, as we consider our own uh, benefits and the joys that we've received. I love how Greg's prayer this morning was just saying that, you know, that, or in, in his talk about the collection, there's a lot of people out there who work harder than us and they don't have as much as we do. That's absolutely true. There's a lot of people out there that work harder than us. They don't have as much as we do. And there's a whole lot of people that work less hard than we do, and they've got more than us. And so what does that tell us about our efforts and our works? It's not one-to-one. -one. It's not we put in all the work and we receive what's due. No, that's not really how it ever works. But it's that God is working, that God is the one providing everything that we enjoy. And, and that's ultimately what these, uh, you know, this text is condemning the Assyrians for not recognizing, not realizing that all of their success has come from God. He's the one who, is, who has taken Assyria and sharpened them and used them to destroy the nations. Without God's help, they could accomplish none of it. And so Assyria is called this boasting axe, kind of pointing at them, making fun of them because of that. 
Well, as you keep reading, you learn that God is going to bring about judgment against the Assyrians for this. He said in verse 12, I will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the boastful looks in his eyes. In verse 16, it says, Therefore the Lord God of hosts will send wasting sickness among his stout warriors, and under his glory a burning will, kindle, will be kindled like the burning of fire. The light of Israel will become a fire, and his holy one a flame. And it will burn and devour his thorns and briars in one day. The glory of his forest and of his fruitful land, the Lord will destroy both soul and body, and it will be as when a sick man wastes away. The remnant of the trees of his forests will be so few that a child can write them down. You see in this the, the, the pride, being, the proud being humbled. That God has the ability to, to completely wipe them out. He says they're going to be like a, a person who's healthy one day and then they get sick and then they just start wasting away. And he says all their prosperity and their beautiful lush land and their big fruitful trees are going to be burned up. Because I'm going to be a fire that comes in and destroys them. It's a picture of God being able to humble the proud. And then as you get into verse 16, you learn about the humble being exalted. It's, a, it's this uh, you know, perfect parallel, these two, these two contrasting kind of images that the, pri- the proud are humbled and the humble are exalted. Look at me, verse 20. It says, In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord. And the Holy One of Israel in truth. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts will make a full end, as decreed, in the midst of all the earth. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, So people who dwell in Zion do not be afraid of the Assyrians when they strike with the rod and lift up their staff against you as the Egyptians did. For in a very little while my fury will come to an end and my anger will be directed to their destruction. And the Lord of hosts will wield against them a whip as when he struck Midian at the rock of Horeb. And his staff will be over the sea and he will lift it as he did in Egypt. And in that day, his burden will depart from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be broken because of the fast. Notice, first of all, he said God will burn them up, but then he says there's going to be a remnant that lasts, a remnant that that endures all the suffering of the Assyrians. And he says, you who are in Zion, wait on the Lord. He's going to provide the salvation. He's going to protect. He's going to accomplish uh, the destruction of your enemies. And in this, you see that there's a remnant that, that is left in the land, that God doesn't destroy everyone, but he leaves a faithful few. He pays close attention to those who are remaining faithful in times of trial and those who are refusing to give in to the popular culture of the day, to just to give up on God and stop trusting in him and start trusting in Assyria and start trusting in their enemies. There are a few who continue to trust in God and God says, you're going to be my remnant. 
and you're going to live and you're going to return to the land. It's interesting as we remember back in chapter 7 verse 3 whenever Isaiah came to Ahaz in the first time. You remember uh, Isaiah came and he was telling him, you know, ask for a sign. God's, God's going to take uh, Syria and he's going to take uh, Samaria, he's going he's gonna to remove them from you. You're going to be fine. Just ask for a sign. And Ahaz refuses. Whenever he comes to Ahaz, he brings his son. And his son's name is A Remnant Will Return. At this time, Ahaz has not rebelled against God uh, in the sense of uh, refusing to trust God and going after the Assyrians. He, he probably already had that in his heart. But he hadn't yet said, I'm not going to test God. I'm not going to ask for God's help. Uh, and so God already knew, though, exactly what he was going to do. They're going to trust in Assyria. God's going to bring Assyria against Israel. And then after Assyria destroys, he's going to bring a remnant back. And that remnant, that few, he's going to save. Now just imagine for a moment being a part of that remnant. Imagine being one of the few who survived the Assyrian uh, onslaught. They've come in and they've, they've tortured and they've maimed and they've carried off into captivity hundreds of thousands of, of people that you know and maybe people that you love. And, and you just stayed there uh, trying to be faithful, trying to be true, trying to trust in God. But all the promises of God seem to be failing. All the people around you are giving in to idolatry. All the people around you don't care anything about what God wants because they're, they're serving all these other gods and, and none of it's working. None of the gods are hearing them and none of the gods are stopping the Assyrians from attacking. Imagine just being one of the few who are trying to remain faithful to God's word, surrounded by an entire nation that's living in rebellion. Imagine enduring the suffering that comes about as a result of that rebellion. God promised cursing on the land. He promised destruction. And here you are just holding on tight to God's word, to God's will, seeking to serve him faithfully while enduring all of the troubles brought about you by the sins of your neighbors. That'd be a hard thing, wouldn't it? He says here in verse 22, For though the people of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. That's a reference to the Abrahamic promise. God took Abraham out and showed him the stars, and he said, Your, your descendants are going to be as numerous as a star and as numerous as the sand of the sea. And here's God saying, they're going to be, even though you are currently as numerous as the sand of the sea, when the Assyrians are done with you, there's only going to be a remnant, only going to be a few. Can you imagine being a part of the few and understanding that they've all gone astray? It's a very similar picture to what we see in Romans chapter 9. Whenever Paul is talking to the Romans about Jews who have refused to accept Jesus, he brings up the fact that not all Israel are Israel. And he brings this very verse up. He refers to this verse 
that though they be as numerous as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. And his point is, there's all these people who are descendants of Abraham who would claim, I am Israel, I have the right to the promises of God, and yet they are going to be destroyed in the judgment. And only a remnant, only a few are remaining faithful. Only a few are learning to lean on God and not on men. And those few are the ones that God is going to say, you don't need to be afraid. I can provide for you. I can protect you. You know, that's not really much different from us today. Maybe you were drawing those connections in your own mind. Not everyone who calls themselves a Christian, themselves a Christian, are Christians. You see, there's a distinguishing factor that needs to be made. There's all kinds of people who think, well, I want to have all the promises of God, so I'm going to call myself a Christian, and I'm going to say I believe in Jesus. And, and yet, they're leaning on men, and they're not really trusting in God. And they're not really serving God faithfully. They're serving other gods, and they're worshiping other idols, and that's what their life's about. But you see in this that there is a remnant that God knows those who are faithful to him, those who put their trust in him and lean on him, even though everyone else around them is unfaithful. And that remnant is forced to endure all kinds of sufferings as a result. But God brings them through it and tells them, you don't need to be afraid. I'm going to destroy that enemy that's torturing all those around you but for their sin. I'm going to bring judgment against them as they have also hurt you. He says he's going to cut down the Assyrians. As you, as you continue reading, he, he talks about Assyria coming in a very real sense. Verse 28, he has come to Aeth. He has passed through Migron at Michmash. He stores his baggage. So this is just Assyria moving and coming to Zion. Uh, they have crossed over the pass at Geba. They lodged for the night. Ramah trembles. Gibeah of Saul has fled. Cry aloud, O daughter of Gallim. Give attention, O Laish. O poor Anathoth, Madmena is in flight. The inhabitants of Gebum flee for safety. This very day he will halt at Nob. He will shake his fist at the mount of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. So you have this picture of Assyria coming to Jerusalem. And verse 33 says, Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the bows, that's cut off the branches, with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down, and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. There's a picture of here at the end, verse 33 and 34, God saying, I'm going I'm to cut all the branches off of this big tree. Assyria is represented as a tree. Throughout the Old Testament, kingdoms are often represented as trees. And he says, as Assyria is drawing close and shaking their fist at Jerusalem, he says, I'm going to cut off all her branches. That's how he starts there. It's this picture of he's going he's gonna to make Assyria bare and naked. You know, they don't have any beauty to them anymore. It's just a stick sticking up out of the ground. And then after that, he's going to cut that tree down. They're going to be destroyed. And that's what he's promising to his people as, as Assyria has come up against 
his nation. So Assyria here is, is serving as a warning against arrogance, right? They come thinking they can destroy and conquer anybody. Oh, we'll conquer the gods of Jerusalem like we've conquered all the other gods. And, and God says, that's not going to happen. I'm going to destroy you. Now, if you're living in that day, you wouldn't think that's even possible, right? There's no way the Assyrians can ever be stopped. They're conquering all of Judah, and, and they're going to get to Jerusalem and somehow be defeated. No way. But he says that remnant is going to stand tall amidst all these ruins. They're going to stand tall, having been protected and provided for by God's mighty hand. That's a beautiful picture of God providing what's needed to his people while bringing about the judgment against Assyria. It's, it's ironic, isn't it? He calls them this boasting axe, and then he says, I'm going to cut them down. I'm going to cut them down. He's going to use his own axe to cut them down. So let's talk about this and apply this a little bit to our lives. So first of all, of course, this picture of boasting, right? Assyria, they look at success, they become proud, and they, they think that they have accomplished it, they're high and they're mighty. Are we like them? Do we think much of ourselves whenever we do something great? Maybe we've climbed the corporate ladder uh, and we think we have accomplished this. We have done this. We put in the long hours and, and we sacrifice to, to become the, the greatest and the best. Uh, maybe we have a beautiful family at home and we have wonderful relationships and we think we have accomplished all that. We've created that wonderful life that we enjoy. Maybe we've accomplished much intellectually and we, we are really, really smart and we think we did it. And you notice God says, it's not you. It's never you that did any of this. He's calling for all of us to have humility and to rely on him every day. Mark mentioned in his prayer this morning that we don't pray as we should. Well, if we're not praying, then who are we relying on? If we're not asking God for help, then aren't we assuming that we can do it on our own? That's pretty much what's happening. I'm as guilty as, as anybody at, at that, and I'm, I'm, over, I'm working to overcome that, but that's what's happening, and you see in this that the proud will get lower, they will get humbled, and the, the humble will be exalted. We want to be among the humble. We want to be among those who are relying on God daily, recognizing that whatever we're going to do today, whatever we're going to accomplish is in the hands of God. And if we put in a lot of work, it's because God gave us the ability. If we're really smart and wise and figure this out, it's because God gave us the wisdom that we prayed for, hopefully, and, and that we're relying on him to provide the opportunities, to provide the success and the things that we do. And throughout the Old Testament, we see multiple times, if God decides to bless somebody and lift them up, he can. He does. Joseph is lifted up multiple times. David is lifted up multiple times. Men are, are lifted up just because God decides, I'm going to make him prosperous. I'm going to bless him. I'm going to give him success. And each and every one of us are no different. If we're lifted up, it's to be a light that reflects God's glory and tells everybody, I'm not here because of myself. I'm here because he has, he's worked through me to accomplish this. But also as we look at this, we, we look at the remnant specifically we see this beautiful picture that God is able to do the impossible. 
God is able to work on behalf of his people and bring about their salvation. Now think about this. You, you might not have noticed it. You might not have paid attention to it. You might not have caught it. But how is he going to bring Assyria down? What's he going to do to accomplish this? Notice how he, he describes it. Verse 26, The Lord of hosts will wield against them a whip as when he struck Midian at the rock of Oreb. What is that about? What is this striking Midian at the rock of Oreb? What's talking about Gideon in the 300? Right, 300 men go up against uh, hundreds of thousands of men, and, and they accomplish the, the defeat of them. Why? Because God is able to do that. He is able to accomplish this. And so God is foretelling in this that he's going to bring about the destruction of the Assyrians like he did then. That impossible feat was performed by God, and he's going to do an impossible feat again. He says also... Uh, after that, his staff will be over the sea and he will lift it as he did in Egypt. That's a reference to Moses uh, putting his staff in the sea and, and dividing and then bringing those waters in to destroy the Egyptians. That's God working again to defeat the enemies of God's people. And he says, I'm going to do that again. I'm going to bring about an equally impossible miracle and I'm going to destroy the Assyrians who have come up to my mountain and shaken their fist at me. And he does it. Isaiah 36 through 37, Isaiah himself is there, and he recounts when Assyria comes up in this big army of 185,000 people, and Hezekiah goes to God in prayer. They've already destroyed much of Judah. All the fortified cities have been conquered. And Hezekiah, in, in complete faith, relies on God and says, God, please look at what they've said against you and please act. And God destroys 185,000 in one night. Okay, You see in this that God is able to provide for and protect the faithful. He's able to do that, and he wants to do that, and he promises to do that over and over and over again. The remnant, those who are, who are focused on following after God's ways and God's will and trusting in him, can trust that God will work, and he'll make history for us. He'll bring about our rescue, our salvation. He'll bring about the destruction of our enemy. And the ultimate way that that's seen is in the judgment day. It's in the ultimate salvation of eternity and eternal life that will be given. God is, is setting us up as a remnant of all of the earth to provide for us an eternal home and salvation if we'll remain faithful to the very end. And our ultimate enemy will be defeated. Satan will be defeated. And that should be what we're all looking forward to. So, in conclusion, as we wrap this up, you look at this text, you see that success is never a picture of how great we are, uh, but instead it's a picture of how great God is. And we have to change our perspective, change our mindset, to see the success in our life as being a picture of how wonderful and loving God has been to us, to bless us in so many ways. And we have to seek to be the remnant, to be a part of that remnant, that group of people who are remaining faithful against all odds, 
against all the people around us who are telling us to, to go this way and worship this God and, and act this way and, and enjoy your life. We have to turn against all of that. And we have to trust that God is able to bring about the salvation he's promised. If we'll remain faithful to the very end. The world around us could fall apart. Enemies could come up against our land and our nation. But if we'll remain faithful, God will bring us through to the very end. He promises to hear us, to listen to our prayers, to provide for us. And all that we need to do is remain the humble, obedient people of God to the very end. Put our trust in Him all the time. I don't know what's coming. I don't know what the future may hold. But are we going to be truly the followers of Christ who love and honor God in whatever situation, in whatever circumstance. There are many who call themselves Christians, but are you really a Christian? Are we really Christians? Hopefully we are. Hopefully we're studying, we're, we're learning, we're growing. Hopefully we're relying on and holding on to Jesus as our hope for salvation. And we're living our lives in such a way to bring him glory and honor when this life is over. If you're here today, you've not received the grace of God, it's available to you. If you've been trusting in yourself, you've been trusting in your own righteousness, your own abilities, you've been looking at yourself proudly and all your accomplishments God knows exactly what's going on in your heart, and he wants you to change. He wants you to instead put your trust in him, rely on him, and let go of the pride and the arrogance. Because it's not going not gonna to get you anywhere. We're, we're, we're tools. We're instruments in God's hands. That's what we are. I remember whenever I was talking to my uh, coworker back whenever I was installing hardwoods, uh, I, was, I was explaining to him, God is awesome, and he's working, and he's doing all these things, and, and, I, and I was hearing him, and I was like, man, God could use you. You'd be such a great tool in, in God's army, a great tool. And I, I, as I said it, I realized I offended him. And he's like, I don't want to be a tool. Now, that just sounds offensive. And yet, that's exactly what we are, if we're willing to submit to that and accept that role and that responsibility in the kingdom for God's glory. Um, and that's an honor, and that's a privilege uh, for us to do that. So hopefully you're willing to submit to that, and hopefully you're willing to accept that responsibility. If there's anything you can do, we can do for you, please let us know. Please come as we stand.